we were going through life and, 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 you know, things were really good, but we were really, really busy and involved in way too many things. And, you know, a lot of them really, really good things. That was kind of a contributing factor to a pretty low point in our life because uh, we hit a rough spot uh, in our family. When it just really hit that we weren't really where we thought we were, I think it just really stopped both of us mm -hmm. in our tracks and, and made us realize, you know, we just needed to change our priorities. We just had to pull back from absolutely everything we were doing just to handle that crisis. You know, God kind of brought us down to our knees, literally to our knees. As we cried out, He's just been faithful. I was remember I was reading my Bible during that time, and I was getting a little frustrated because I realized, you know, I've taught Sunday school, I've done all these things, I've taught Bible classes, I've taught at a Christian school. I knew what the Bible said, but I thought to myself, you know, if I did half what I knew, I'd be twice the person I am. And so when we started getting to the other side, we started having some time again, I said no a lot to a lot of things. And it just allowed room for God to come in and just start making some really neat things happen in our life. I think setting the table for me means just being available for people mm -hmm. and inviting people to come and hear the message of Jesus. One day after school, I was meeting with a friend of mine. We would get together and pray. and. Uh, a young man came into the room. He was, I'd never seen him before. He was the one who was uh, assigned to clean my room at school where I teach at Norman High School. And uh, my friend said, hey, we're getting ready to pray in a minute. Can we pray for you? And it became obvious that he was very comfortable with that. And so after we prayed, every day when he came in, I would just spend time talking with him, getting to know him. Found out he was a believer. He was a refugee. He was born in uh, Congo. And we had a lot of fun. We took his, him and his family. Um, Bernheim Forest and different things and just had a lot of fun together too. We just grew to be good, pretty good friends. He came one day and he's like, I, I want to be baptized. And I started talking to him about it. It was obvious he'd been praying or something. He felt God let him, I have to be baptized. Setting a table literally means to prepare for a meal or maybe a feast. That's what it literally means. Setting the table, I think, in the way we're trying to do it at Northside, spiritually, means we're preparing a place where people can come and feast, and, and feast on the Word of God, and uh, feast on fellowship with other believers. You know, I'm, I'm learning not just to disciple people, but how to teach them to be disciples. We can obviously grow in love, we can grow in patience, we can grow in peace, we can grow in faith, we can grow in, we can grow in generosity too. I think it was when the beginning of setting the table when we chose to just look at our finances different and to give more. So it's just been a, a sweet season um, to be able to see needs around us and to be able to, to give. And um, I've enjoyed that because I always felt like we've been on the other side of that. I'm just so excited about what Northside has done with setting the table because they've really challenged everybody to participate. And, and that's what the Christian community is really about. It is such a, Christianity is such a team effort. I mean, it is such a team effort and we need everybody involved uh, to spread the gospel in our community, in our nation, throughout the whole world. Northside has always been such a loving church. Um, and I just hope we continue to grow in love and I hope that, the hope that we can recognize that God's love for us, you know, is intended for everyone and not just hold it in, but, but become more proficient in sharing it and how to do that, what does it look like, and to encourage one another to do that more and more.
Can we thank God right now for the story that he's writing in Tim and Pam's life? They are some incredible people, and uh, boy, I was uh, deeply convicted when I was watching that video for the first time when he said, boy, if I put into practice half of what I've known, I would be twice the person I am today. And uh, sometimes that's the whole thing for us. We know a whole lot, but sometimes there's things going on. And, and I just appreciated their honesty to go, you know what? We have gotten so busy in life. We are running and gunning and, and things have picked up and they just needed to slow down. And they needed to slow down. And then what was amazing in that whole baptism, this is what's really neat about that story, about that baptism uh, that Tim had with just a, a, a refugee that was at work there at New Albany High School that he got to lead in his classroom to the Lord and be baptized. Uh, what was amazing was that was the first baptism we had here after COVID when we reopened. And what was amazing to me that God just kind of spoke in my heart when I was watching that baptism was this. God was just whispering in my, in my heart, Nate, the world may be shut down, but while the world is shut down, I'm still reaching the world. And this is the God that we serve. We serve a God who does not stop. We serve a God who has set the table for the entire world through Jesus Christ. And like, if you maybe not, you know, maybe you've been here for the last year, you don't know what's kind of going on over the last year. We've been a part of this setting the table initiative where we're saying, God, you're calling us to step out in faith and generosity to make more room for others. And I'll be announcing some plans. We're doing some modifications uh, from our original plans because Everything has changed in the world, and I can't wait to share that with you. Uh, but setting the table isn't just a, a generosity initiative. It is a gospel initiative. And I love how Tim described it, that God is saying, I've called every single person to be a table setter, to be people that set the table for one another. Matter of fact, that's why we're doing this series called The Best Summer Ever, because God has invited you and I into the best life ever the best kingdom call that we could have. And some of you are going, Nate, that sounds great. What's up with the swing? All right, well, well, here's the deal with the swing. I just didn't want to stand and preach. And no, that's not it, right? Uh, actually, this is kind of comfortable up here, right? But here's what I know around summertime. Man, I love to sit out on a front porch. We got a couple swings at our house for our kiddos and for us. And, and I just love, there's nothing like sitting on a front porch and just swinging. And to say, God, we're, we're just kind of slowing down like Tim talked about. That when we slow down, actually, sometimes it feels like nothing's getting accomplished. But really what happens when you and I slow down with Jesus, here's what happens. He actually accomplishes more than we could accomplish on our own. The big idea that we introduced last weekend from John chapter 15 was this. This is what Jesus wants for you and I this summer. Is before we detach, before we go on our vacations, before the AAU trips and weekends and everything fill up all of our schedules for sports and everything else. What Jesus is telling his disciples, this is his last night before he's going to the cross, and what he's telling to you and I today is this. You and I this summer, if we want to experience the best summer ever, we need to attach before we detach. We need to be people that slow down and attach our lives to the grace and mercy of Jesus. And this is what it looks like. The reason why we brought a swing out was this. What it looks like for you and I to attach to Jesus is that we would lean back into his love and his grace so we can go forward in our life. See, too many times this is what happens. We get going and how we want to go forward is we just, we just kind of push our way forward and push our way forward. And that's not how you swing. That's not how a swing works. A swing works when you push back. And what happens is there's generation, there's momentum that goes forward. This is what Jesus tells his disciples in John chapter 15, verse 5. He summarizes it really last week and he summarizes it in one verse when he says it this way. 
He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. I'm the vine, I'm the life, I'm the best summer ever, I'm the best life ever, and you are the branches. And he says, and if a man remains in me and I in he, he will bear much fruit. Jesus says, when you stay at home with him, when you allow your life to move with him, when you find your peace, when you find your identity in him, you're gonna bear fruit. And not only bear fruit, he says, much fruit, because apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. He's going, I have the life for you. I have the best summer ever for you. It's not even about, man, I hope you get to go on vacation. I hope you have some family time. Nothing, none of that is wrong. Here's the only thing. If you and I this summer don't attach ourselves to him, don't find our life in him, don't get in rhythm with him, he's gonna go, man, your life won't actually produce what I want in and through you. He goes on to say this in verse eight. He said, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Jesus wants you and I to be his disciple. That word literally just means follower of Jesus. This week in our all staff, we were having a study time and uh, about just being disciple makers and being people who lead and invest into others. So as a staff, we can live our best life with Jesus this summer. And I came across this stat in the book we were studying, and I had heard it before, but I'd forgotten about it. Uh, but the word, this is interesting, the word Christian is only in the New Testament three times. You'll only find the word Christian in the New Testament three times, but you'll find the word disciple in the New Testament 296 times. Here's what's happened today. Too many times we've taken the name Christian, but we're not a disciple. Meaning this, we believe in him, but we may not follow him. And Jesus is reminding his disciples and he's reminding you and I today, man, here's the best life ever for you and I, that you and I walk in rhythm with Jesus, that you and I follow Jesus because he's going, this is what's gonna happen. You're gonna bear fruit. Your life is gonna be productive. Your life is gonna move forward. But have you ever found to be a Christian, sometimes it's easier to be a Christian when you're not around anybody? I found when I'm not around people, I'm a whole lot more patient. Right? I'm a, I'm a whole lot more loving when I don't have to love anybody. I'm like, man, I'm doing really good today. Right? And this is what happened literally. Even on a swing, when somebody wants to come, hey, can I sit next to you on the swing? My first thought is this, nope. No, because you know what? I enjoy sitting on a swing by myself. You know why? Because I get to go at the pace I want to go. Right, if I want to slow down, I get to slow down. This is what happens a lot of times when I'm on a swing with my kids, right? It's fun for the first little bit because I'm kind of guy, and then they start dragging their feet, right? And then the swing gets wobbly. I'm like, come on, you know, and they're grabbing the bars. Get off of that, right? And what happens is too many times it becomes really easy, really easy to begin not just to find our rest in Jesus, but to go, you know what? It's just me and Jesus and nobody else. But what we're going to find today is this. Jesus says, it's not just that you would remain in me. Here's what I want you to discover when you remain in me. Listen to what he tells his disciples. This is big for you and I today. This is what he says right after that in verse 12. Jesus tells them this command, and it's actually a new command. He says this, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Uh-oh. What he's saying is this, guys, love each other as disciples, as followers of me. But here's the deal. Here's how I want you to love each other. As I have loved you. As I have loved you. And he goes on to say this, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. 
See, this is what Jesus did for us. Matter of fact, that's why next weekend, Memorial Day weekend, is such a meaningful weekend in our nation and our country. Even if you're not a believer here today, this is what happens. Next weekend is a humbling weekend because we pause and we remember those who have laid their life down for us, who have sacrificed their life. There's something about that type of love that is humbling, isn't it? It's humbling and yet it's inspiring. And Jesus says this, I want you to love each other, but I don't want you just to love each other as you think. What he's saying is this, I want you to love each other as I have loved you, and here's why. Because Jesus wants his disciples to know and wants you and I to know today that life change happens together. Life change happens when you and I get to be the full on body of Christ. Not just by ourselves on a swing, but when you and I live out as the community of Jesus. That's why Tim and Pam's story was so powerful. Not only were they willing to allow Jesus to lead their life, they were also willing to share Christ and pray with the simple person who was coming in to clean their room. See, life gets a whole lot more rich when we learn how to love one another. And this is why Jesus is saying this. I, I, I remember uh, growing up at church camp, it was a number of years ago, but I was at church camp one summer, uh, there was a bracelet that came out and they gave it away to everybody. And on the bracelet, this is what it said, WWJD. Anybody remember those bracelets? You know, what would Jesus do? You still see those around, real, uh, around a little bit. But what was funny that summer at camp was this, as everybody had that bracelet, uh, you know, it was what would Jesus do? People would start coming up to one another and we'd go, hey, someone would just buy a Coke from the vending machine, but give me your Coke. Like, no. And then we'd say, what would Jesus do? Right? We'd Jesus juke him into it, right? Just guilt him. And they're like, fine, right? And now, here's the deal. I think, I think Jesus is a generous person, but I don't think that's always how it works. And, and what I realized was this. It's not just what would Jesus do before we understand what would Jesus do, before we understand what does it look like to love like Jesus loves us. Here's what we need to do. We need to start with WDJD. What did Jesus do? See, too many times, this is where Christianity gets misrepresented. We begin to love in the name of God, but we actually don't love like God has loved us. And if you turn a page over before John chapter 15, if you turn over to John chapter 13, what you find is this, you find Jesus loving. Not just the idea of love, but you see it modeled. And what happens is Jesus, the night that he was gonna be betrayed by Judas, he got his disciples together, and I don't know if you remember this, he washed their feet. You remember that? And you're like, Jesus, what are, what are you doing? What he's doing is this, he's showing them what does it look like to love like Jesus? What does this look like for you and I to love a world that actually doesn't maybe love Jesus? This is what he says to them. Verse 14, after he washed their feet and he even washes Judas's feet, he knows he's gonna betray him. It's his enemy and he's gonna go, I know, but I'm gonna still love and wash your feet. And he says this to him in verse 14, now that I, your Lord and teacher, now that I, the king of the universe, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I'm gonna be by the exits after the service. No, no, not. You're like, well, I ain't washing your feet. You know what I mean? Now, this is what he's saying. He's going, it's not just that we would literally do that. He says this, I tell you this. He said, and I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. And I tell you this truth, 
No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Jesus is going, this is why. This love that I love you with is a humble love. It is a selfless love. It is a generous love. Nobody, no messenger is greater than the one who sent him. And then he says this, now that you know these things, he says this, you will be blessed if you do them. What Jesus is saying is this, I'm telling you, this is what I want to do for you because what he's saying is this, I want you to experience the best life ever. And what Jesus is saying is this, the best life ever isn't when you and I wake up going, the world better serve me today. He says, the best life ever is when you and I wake up and we go, God, how can we go and serve the world today? He goes, because you're going to experience a blessing. You're going to experience a life that nothing else in this world can have. See, this is the different countercultural way of Jesus. Jesus calls us into a different life. He says this in verse 34 of chapter 13. He says, a new command I give you. And this is what he just said in verse, in chapter 15. He says, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then he says, this is why. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, here's why loving one another is so important. This is how the world will know you and I follow Jesus. This is how the world will see you and I are walking in rhythm with Jesus. See, it's this selfless love that will actually change your relationships. It's this selfless love that will change your marriage. It's this selfless love that will begin to change the way you parent. It's this selfless love that begins to change the way you and I begin to look out at our community. Jesus says, now that I've set you an example, when you do this, you're going to be blessed. You're going to experience the best life ever. And here's what's going to happen. The world will know you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. We hear this phrase all the time. It's not in the Bible, but, but we, we see it and, and the truth is in the Bible. It's this. People don't care how much you know until what? Until they know how much you care. See, the world knows that. The world is not waiting for us just to show up and just start blasting people with information. You know what the world's waiting for? The world is waiting for you and I to wake up and show up with the grace and mercy of Jesus. That you and I would wake up. See, some people would say this, God has a plan for your life. God has a purpose for your life. And I go, yes, he does. And then oftentimes we never explain or say what that plan or purpose is. Your plan and your purpose for your life that God has given you is to go and love each other as Christ has loved us. Too many times when we say the word love, we go, man, that sounds like the easy way out. That sounds like the sissy way out. You ever washed any feet? Man, love is actually the difficult way out. Love will actually challenge you and I to live a different life. Love is what changes you and I. See, love is more than a feeling. It's not just this kind of butterflies. Man, this love is this internal change that begins to go out. And this is what's amazing. This love is what actually changed the Roman Empire that at once crucified Jesus. But over the next several hundred years, what happened was this. You can read about it all in Roman history. They would tar Christians 
set them on fire because they wouldn't say Caesar was king. And what would happen is this, you have all this documentation from Roman historians, they would say this, we kill these Christians, we feed these Christians to the lions, and all they do is keep taking care of our poor, and all they do is go rescue the babies that we throw out in the trash, and they raise these kids that we don't want. All they keep doing is loving people and loving their enemies, and, and we can't explain it, and we can't get our mind around it, and you know what? We're a better civilization because of them, but we can't stand them. And people are dumbfounded by this love because this is what Jesus knows. Only through his love can the world actually change. See, this is the good news for you and I this summer. God is inviting you and I into a love that can actually change us, a love that begins to say not just changes us, but it changes the world around us. See, this love isn't just for us, this love is for the world, but here's what Jesus is gonna say right before that line when he says, love each other as I have loved you. This is what he tells the disciples to do, and this is what he's gonna tell you and I today is this. Before we go and love everybody else, here's what we gotta learn. We gotta learn how to be loved. Too many times I hear that, okay, you just gotta go love people, and you're like, yeah, but I'm tired. You know what Jesus starts with? Jesus says this, first, you and I need to actually learn how to be loved by God. This is what Jesus says in verse nine. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Get in rhythm with what I do. Get in rhythm with how I've called you to live. And then he says this, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. And I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. You and I, we want a happy life, don't we? You don't even have to be a Christian here today or watching online to go, man, I want, I want to be happy. Jesus goes, good. I want to give you my joy, but here's how you get my joy. Here's how you get a life of fulfillment that you and I slow down to be loved by our heavenly father. He says this, I want you to obey my commands. Too many times, this is what I thought about obedience. Obedience was only up to me. Well, no wonder I can't obey. I'm not very good at it. But Jesus says this, it's not about you have to obey to get God. What he tells us is this, we obey because we first have God. We have the love of God. And when we have the love of God, we begin to walk in obedience. And can I tell you this? There's some things in your life right now that God wants you to experience, but here's the deal, you will not experience it on this side of obedience. There's some things God wants you to experience, there's some life change that he wants to experience in your life, but it happens on the other side of obedience. Too many times we'll pray prayers like this, God, would you just bless this? And he's like, how can I? You're not walking in obedience with me. How can I begin to rebuild that relationship when you don't want me to be the center of that relationship? We see this with Jesus. He begins to obey his father in his calling when he goes to the cross and he prays it. God, if you can take it away, take it away. But he says this, not my will, but what? But your will be done. And on the other side of the cross, here's what we experience, the power of the resurrection. If Jesus wouldn't have obeyed and gone to the cross, you and I would not experience his power and his resurrection. This is what happens with kids over the summer. They forget everything they learned the last nine months. Teachers, I'm sorry to inform you. You've done a great job this year. 
right? But here's what I know. This happens to all of us. I remember doing that, right? This is what happens. We, we, we learn, and then here's what happens in the summer. We unlearn. And can I just invite you this summer? There might be this summer. You might have learned a bunch of things about Jesus, but this summer, the biggest thing he's going to invite you to do is to unlearn some of the patterns you have in your life. To unlearn that God loves you right now. He's not waiting for you to begin to obey him. He already loves you. And what happens is this, the more you begin to unlearn that you don't have to earn his love, but you get to walk in his love, your life begins to change. This is what Tim was saying in that video. Boy, the Lord brought me to my knees. And what he was saying is this, there were some things I had to unlearn in my life. See, it's not just about learning about Jesus. It is about unlearning some habits that we have in our life because here's why. He's going, I want you to learn to be loved because here's why. I want you to learn how to be love in the world today. I want to send you out into the world. God has so many opportunities for you and I this summer to go and share him with people around us. This is why right after that, this is what he says in verse 15 to his disciples. He says, I no longer call you servants, because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus says, I don't call you servants anymore. I call you guys friends. I've made everything known to you because here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and love others as I have loved you. Jesus is saying, I've emptied the tank. I've let you know I'm going to let you know everything because your call and your purpose is to go and love your neighbor. Matter of fact, last weekend at the 1130 service had a powerful moment. It was just a powerful moment to so his experience in that service. Uh, There's a, a kid, a student here by the name of Josh that got baptized. Got a picture of this baptism moment last week in 1130. And here's what's so powerful about this picture. Josh is there in the middle next to Kyle Wilson, one of our student pastors. And on his left is Drake and Allie. And here's what's so cool about this story that I found out last week. Josh got invited here about a year ago to church, started coming for a little bit, and then he quit coming. And this, that happens. People go, hey, I'll go to church for a little bit, and then they kind of drift away. Well, Allie and Drake saw that happening, and this is what I love about Allie and Drake. They called Josh and hunted him down, right? Because friends don't let friends drift from Jesus, right? And what they did was this, they went and they just went after him. They go, hey man, you doing okay? I haven't seen you at a while at church. Everything all right? He began to open up about what was going on in his life and they began to share Jesus with him a little bit more and they began to walk with him a little bit more. And last weekend, you saw these friends. It was this powerful moment, not just a moment of Josh beginning to follow Jesus and give his life to the Lord. What you saw was this, were two friends who said, we know our purpose in life. And it is to love Josh like Christ has loved us. It's to love Josh like Christ has loved us. Got a buddy, he's a pastor up in Chicago. And uh, what's so cool is he plant churches all across the world. And uh, this last year he wrote a book because sometimes we wanna love our neighbor well, but we just go, man, Nate, I don't know where to start. And, and the Bible's so big, how do I do this well? My buddy, he wrote this book this year, really powerful, real simple. And it's a book just called Bless. Bless. And it's called Five Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and Change the World. And what my friend Dave did was this, he studied the life of Jesus and he said, here's what Jesus did to bless his neighbor. Here's what Jesus did to love his neighbor. And here's what the acronym BLESS stands for. 
It just stands simply for this. One, he said what Jesus always did was, he said he began with prayer. Too many times I try to begin with my love instead of praying, God, would you make me your love today to this world? God, would you bring your love through me to this world? This is what I love about scripture. Scripture says this, that his mercies are new, what? Anybody remember? Every morning. Every morning, God's going, I have my mercy for you to give today. I have my love for you to give away today. And he said this, Jesus always began with prayer because this is what you see Jesus doing in his life. He always took time to listen. Boy, it's powerful when people take time to listen to our story, isn't it? When we feel like people are actually just interested in us, not what they can get from us. So what we find in the life of Jesus. He began with prayer, he would listen, and then he says this, he would take time and eat with people, glory to God. Right, this is what he would do. Jesus told Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. I'm coming to eat with you. You see it, he would eat with the Pharisees, he would eat with lost people. Matter of fact, he got the nickname, friend of sinners. And Jesus even gotten accused of being a glutton because he would sit down and have a meal with sinners. They'd even call him a drunkard because he would sit down and drink with people who were lost. And they would go, to, oh, he's spending time with those lost people. And then what you see is this, nobody else was reaching those lost people. And the way that Jesus would bless people was this, he would actually sit down and have a meal with them. Then he would serve people and he would share the story of God with them. See, Jesus has simple ways, everyday ways for you and I to begin to love our neighbors. Because he's saying this, this love that I have for you is how the world will know you're my disciples. Too many times we go, oh, I'll just love people the best I can. Jesus is going, no, I want to do a new work in you because life change only happens together. And here's what we find when you and I begin to allow this love of Jesus to be what drives us. When we allow the love of Jesus to be our rhythm, to look at our neighbor, even if they hate God, but to love and to serve them because that's how God has loved and served us. What happens is this, we leave a legacy of love. You know, the people that I found who have left a legacy in this world, some biographies that I've read about people, you know what's fascinating about those who have really left a big legacy? They never worried about leaving a legacy. <laughs> you realize that? The people who left the best legacy in the world were not consumed or worried about their legacy. They were consumed with their purpose. And they knew I will sacrifice for my purpose. I will live my purpose. And out of that, they left a legacy. This is the legacy that Jesus calls his disciples to leave and calls you and I in verse 16. Jesus tells this to his disciples. He tells it to you and I today. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit and fruit that will last. Do you know that Jesus has a legacy already for you? Jesus already has a life plan for you. Some of you go, man, I don't know what my life's all about. Here it is right here. Jesus says, I have chosen you. You haven't even chosen me. I've picked you. Some of you, you're still recovering from not being chosen uh, from kickball in third grade, right? You still carry those scars. 
The good news is Jesus says, no, I choose you. I'm not waiting for you to choose me. I've chosen you and I've appointed you to go and bear fruit, to go and love the world as I have loved you. And I've chosen you to not just bear fruit, but fruit that will last. And he says this, then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name, because this is my command, love each other. I was thinking about that when he said that he had called us to bear fruit that will last. And I began to think about winery stuff because, you know, all of us, a lot of us in this room, we don't own vineyards or we don't own a winery. And, and I just began to do some research with this series. I found, I didn't know this, uh, the longest consistent open winery in the world is in Germany. And you ready? It opened and hasn't stopped producing grapes since 862. Not 1862. 862, still in production today. I'm gonna to mess up the name, but I'm gonna try it, all right? Staffelfelterhof. And you all don't know the name, so you can't correct me, right? <laughs> but I was just researching this, and I was going, no way. And the more I researched, this is why. You ready? Because vineyards were made to produce forever. What happens is this. We talked about it last weekend. You prune the vine so it can become more fruitful. And there's things that get pruned so it can produce grapes again. And it prunes again so it can produce fruit again. See, this love that Jesus is talking about is this eternal love that he wants to put in us, that he's going, I want to constantly be producing my love and life in and through you. That's why I'm so excited about this Tuesday. We have a special event going on here called Finishing Well. We've never done this before, but I'm really pumped about it. It's for those who are 55 and older, nearing retirement or they're retired. And what we're inviting is this, we're just inviting, we already have over 250 uh, people signed up. This thing's gonna be an absolute party. And uh, this is, it's kind of like one night of church camp for adults, except you don't have to sleep in a bunk and there's no pool, so you don't have to wear a swimsuit, right? It is gonna be the best of the world. And this is what I love it. My dad's running, running point on it on Tuesday night, but this is what's gonna happen is we're gonna equip and invest into this generation that oftentimes, here's what happens. We think when we're retired that God is done with us when actually what you find is this, when you attach yourself to the vine, when you live the life of God, you experience his life and his fruit eternally until you go and be with the Lord. And here's what I'm convinced of. This generation that's facing retirement or is retired right now, I just wanna call it out. You guys, we need you more than ever in the life of the church, and here's why. Because we have generations being raised up, and here's the deal, you ready? That do not know the Lord. The statistics are out there. The younger the generation, the less they're following the Lord. Church, we have a calling. We have a purpose. Some of you, you thought when you retired, you retired from the kingdom of God. Can I just let you know, when we become followers and disciples of Jesus, we never retire from our kingdom call. He wants to bear fruit in your life today. 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 Like Tim Furry cleaning guy walks into his room in New Albany High School from the Congo in New Albany 
You trying to tell me God is not a God of miracles today? God's saying this, this life change happens together. It happens when you and I lock our arms together with one purpose. What Jesus prayed, God, would your kingdom come and would your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Here's what you found. You found a bunch of ragtag group of disciples God used to go and change the world. And and here's why. Because they loved as Christ had loved them. Some of you today, you're going, Nate, I'm not good at loving people. I know, that's why we need Jesus. That's why we need Jesus. Here's what I want to do today for us. I just want us to spend a moment just in prayer. And this is what I want us to do. I just want us to pray over two things. Jesus keeps saying this over and over in this passage. He says, ask and it will be given. Ask whatever in my name and I'm going to give it to you. And here's what we're going to pray over just right now. Two two simple things. One, it's this, God, this summer, would you teach me what I need to unlearn about your love? God, what do I need to unlearn? God, I'm thinking you don't love me until I get my act together. No, it's, we don't get our act together until we know it's his love that gets our act together. It's his love that changes us. Second thing we're gonna pray for is this. God, would you open my eyes this summer to see who you've called me to love as you have loved me. And so I wanna invite you just right now, if you would with me, would you just bow your head? And I just want to invite you into this moment. This is what Jesus is saying. He's going, I want to change your life. I want to rearrange your life. I want to give you the best summer ever, but it won't be in a vacation. It'll be in my life and in my love. And so right now, I just want you to simply pray this prayer to the Lord. Just say, God, would you show me what I need to unlearn so I can learn about your love this summer. Just right now, talk to your heavenly father. God, we thank you that you're patient with us. You're gracious with us. And right now, just as a church family online in this room, would you begin to ask God, God, would you give me your eyes and your love to love those around me this summer like you loved me? Right now, just begin to ask him that he would do a work in you and around you this summer that you can't do yourself. Ask your heavenly father for that right now. Jesus, we simply take this moment to acknowledge 
We talk a lot about love. We, we think we know love. But Jesus, we just pause to say, you have a greater love than anything we know. A love that changes us, a love that helps fuel us to love those around us so that they can know you. Father, I pray for us for every generation in this room, for every elementary kid in this room, for every middle schooler, high schooler, college age, young adult, midlife father, people who retire, God, you do not exclude an age in your love, but you call all of us to be people of your love. And so Lord, we surrender our hearts and our minds to you this morning. And we ask God that you would do a work in us today and over the next coming months that Lord, only you can do. So Jesus, we thank you for loving us first. We thank you for coming after us first and so that we can just walk and live by the power of your love. Jesus, we pray all of this in your name. And all God's people said together, amen. May we go and experience this change together. God bless y'all. We'll see you next week.